Welcome to the Unseen Life Experience, where we highlight the unseen stories of Africans living with both visible and invisible disabilities. Today, we feature Renee Modoni, who was indirectly impacted by her brother's experience as a double amputee. She's here to raise awareness on how diabetes can lead to disability. Hi, Renee. Hi. Thank you so much for coming. And once again, thank you so much for sharing your story. I appreciate being here and being given the opportunity. Thank you so much. Um, so let's get right into it. Um, tell us, who is Renee Modoni? Um, in this um, particular um, minute right now or this session, I am here as Renee Modoni, but speaking on behalf of my brother, Kevin Karanja, who I think is the reason that has given me this platform and because of his situation, is why we are here today. Okay. So tell us a bit about Kevin Karanja. So Kevin passed on on um, 30th of January. But before that, he was um, a very strong young man because in his journey, by the age of 30, he was diagnosed with diabetes. And um, 2020... He unfortunately got amputated, bilateral amputee, which means now it's both legs, but um, both legs um, under the knee. So yeah, so I think he's a very great man because he survived, is it two, almost three years and fought a great fight. So he's an amazing person. Uh, what did he do? Did he have a family? Yes, Kevin was blessed with... Kevin was fast in a lot of things. Even starting the family, he got his son at 24. <laughs> he made me an auntie when I was very young because I'm his last, I'm the sister, last born, and we were just the two of us. So it's just me and him, who's my first born brother, and then me. So he had his son called Malik, and um, he was a businessman. He dealt with car accessories and selling motor vehicles. So he used to soup up cars and pimp them out. Oh, nice. Yeah, and also self-import for you. And when we had the conversation about this interview, you mentioned something about his nickname. Could you tell us more <laughs> about that and what he was known for? Yeah, so Fat K. He was a big guy. I think he'll share his photos. So it was not Fat, like F-A-T. It was P-H-A-T-K. And if you missed the fat, he would correct you and tell you, no, he's fat. <laughs> P-H-A-T, fabulous. So, yeah, so he was he was nicknamed Fat K. And we grew up in South Sea, so he, this, he was a bit younger than the Isas and the K-Rapt. So he, he went following them. He was their driver. He looked up to them. So he was quite trendsetting. If anyone in his age group, he was a big deal. If it was the social media era as it is right now, he'd be blowing up nice. <laughs> on the likes and YouTube and everywhere. All right. Yeah. Tell us about, you mentioned he was um, diagnosed with diabetes at 30. Yeah. Um, before that, did he live a healthy life? What was his quality of life like before he got to 30? Um, I would just say... I wouldn't say he was into fitness or anything, but he lived. He was not <clears throat> always in and out of hospital, the sickly. He was actually very normal. Quite, I would just say normal because, okay, he had the weight, 
But let me tell you, if there's anyone who could stand, it was him. He could stand because I was telling you he does the car accessories and he could stand in his garage for three hours without sitting down. And even if he tells me that you know, I can't do that and I think I live a fitter life than he was. So he lived, uh, I would actually say, a normal, healthy, 30-year-old life. Of course, not liking the carbs because he was a big guy, <laughs> but I would say it was healthy life until now the situation happened. So... Um, my parents are separated, so we found out that my dad's mom got had diabetes, and even his brother. And I would just, since I'm in this platform, I would like to tell people to do a lot of history about the family, because that's when after he was diagnosed, I think my mom and my mom had a conversation with my dad and was like, "Is there anyone on your side who's? Because on my side we are cool." And that's when he found out my grandmother, his brother. So it was actually very strong in his side. So I would just like to advise people <clears throat> to know more about their history, um, about their health history in their families, because it was now that's why it came about. And uh, how did he get diagnosed? In fact, it was in the beginning, it was a misdiagnosed. Um, he was told he had lack of vitamin D because in his, you know, diabetes attacks any part of the, or your body, it can attack your nerves, your legs, even your teeth, like even your eyesight. So for him, it was his legs. He stopped moving, like he would walk and not walk. Like you see, they right now, if you tell me to stand, I would stand. He would take like a few seconds to gather himself. So the pacing started, he started pacing slowly. You would notice you'd be like, for someone who's always up and down, he's walking a bit slow. So we ended up in India. When we went to India, they said he had a nerve issue and they sorted it out. The only thing I would also tell people is if you have an issue, like, you know, diabetes is lifelong. So it's something that you can change. Like you can say, oh, it's top. You can manage it, but it won't. You just have to learn to manage it. So by the time the nerves are affected to a point where he was in a crutch, by the time we were leaving to go to India, you should frequent India more. I wish we did that. I wish when he got stronger, we were like, ah, he's okay now. We moved on. But I wish we went frequent and got like just even the routine checkups if you can afford. Yeah, so that's when now he was diagnosed with a nerve issue. I'm telling you, we went with crutches, but we left without crutches. So it was in 10 days. Wow. So it was quite smooth. So we ended up going on holiday um, the next year to Rwanda, to some hot springs. So in the hot springs, you know, it's hot, but him, he can't feel the heat. So I don't think he was jumping when we were jumping. I think he was just walking like he's walking on normal ground because I could not imagine how his whole foot burnt on one side. So we go back to the room. We are tired. We've had a good day. We had even amazing photos in that place. And he was even having a beer there like, it was a beautiful, we had so many laughs. And he wakes up in the morning, he calls me, he's like, Rene, come to my room. I'm like, what is it? Just come. He finds a bed sheet stuck to his, the sole of his foot. And I'm like, wow, how did you get here? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, you're not feeling burning. He's like, no, I wasn't feeling it. So we go to the hospital. I would actually say Kenya, we are a bit advanced in medical because they looked at him and they were like, hey, you guys need to be airlifted, like they really panicked. So 
I'll just called his doctor and told him this is a situation. He's like, just come home. I'm like, do you have to lift him? He's like, no, just tell them. He guided them on the phone what to do. And he's like, come back to Kenya. So he got there. I'll tell you for free that the hospitals don't have wound specialists. He said, normally outside trained people who just deal with di mostly diabetic wounds because they don't heal as fast as you'd imagine. So that's how now in one year, he ended up dealing with that foot. So as it just got better, he hit his leg on the on a door. And that's how he ended up with gangrene. And the toes started dying too. And then he went from, oh, you lose two toes to now. Let's cut one leg to now. Let's cut the second leg. Because now the infection is so much. It's, in fact, he was told all his organs are infected. It was even a miracle he could remember us because the wow. doctor was like, this is bad. So um, just take us back to after he hit his leg on the door. Yeah. They needed to remove two toes yeah. because they were infected. Yeah, they, they lost life. They were just turning black. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then as a result of that, the infection started spreading to the whole leg. So eventually one leg yes. and then to the second leg. Yeah, so when they did the, when, as we thought it would, but after the first amputation, we were like, it's going to be okay. So they still did the test and they're like, this infection is, has now spread to the other leg. And you'd be shocked how, when you know this happens to your family member or someone close to you, you'll hear, oh, my uncle is in the village. He lost his leg, he's diabetic. Oh, so... You Google right now how many amputees are there because of diabetes and you'd be so shocked. And I wish the first time we were diagnosed, someone sat down to us and told us, the most thing you take care of are your feet. Because mm -hmm. once your feet get anything, it's going to be trouble. And what was the duration between the first amputation and the last amputation? It, it was like two weeks. Wow. Yeah. We were in hospital for 51 days. And what was it like for Kevin? Did he receive any therapy to help him adjust to what was happening to him at that time? Yeah, there was a um, um, counselor who saw him in the hospital, in the ward. But at some point he kept telling me he doesn't see why he would... He would... Um, be talked to by someone when he's sleeping in bed and not like in a casual setting like we are. So he hated, he told me to cut off this session. He was like, I don't like this someone is sitting on top of me. And I tell you the worst thing about being an amputee is he was tall. He was quite tall. So the one thing you don't notice is this person is always looking up. So it's quite that what, in fact, he told me the first instance of being an amputee is learning how to always look up. And normally you'd be the one looking down with your height. So yeah, so he got the therapy. I talked to my friend. She sent me a guy who had a, um, it's called a bio. He, um, he has polio, so he was born with polio and he's disabled. And he introduced me to him and he came and talked to him. But my brother told me Does, it's not... His advice is not hitting because this guy was born like this. Understandable. So he doesn't understand he's like, what he's going through. And he always used to tell me, 
praying for me someone who has been cut both legs and not when they were kid when they are fully grown so that's why he refused any more therapy told me that they are listening to someone is if they will sit me down don't talk to me about one leg because this one leg someone will balance on it somehow mm-hmm. on a crutch or something it's like zero yeah in a span of two weeks then now talk to me so he actually went through the fight on his own youtube was his friend because he found now people that had now even no arms no legs yeah, yeah. from diabetes even not for him it was, it was not even about diabetes even war he was just like as long as it's sudden okay it was it worked for him Yeah. And so he left hospital he was on a wheelchair. Yes. Um what was the process? Did he eventually get prosthetics? Yes, but it was not as easy as it seems. First he was heavy. Mm-hmm. Um so you can imagine you're putting your weight onto something foreign. So he used to get blisters because you're putting this they're called stumps once they're amputated. So you're putting your stumps inside um for and being diabetic you're very sensitive so any blister will take it will take three days for me it will take three weeks for him so we had very many setbacks but the doctors were very encouraging because i think they also went back to their research and they found every they they got me like a sponge like it was trial and error we used to try this socks some this socks We tried so many things but eventually we found a solution but this is after like ha huh, 2020 he never walked 2021 2022 is when he got his bearing wow and how did this start to affect him it affected him because it affected him a lot first of all there is something called phantom limb where you imagine your legs are there and you remember those wounds and you can feel it and if you google it because i remember the i had to google it and it says it, you you are like a mad madman like you, you the, it's like burning so that's there are some things that what no one could understand him so like the other day he woke up and he just cramped He's like Rene Rene I'm, I can't feel it. even he would go to his bed and sit next to him because you're saying he's not having his feet but he would move he would do like I've sat on his legs wow it's the weirdest thing mm-hmm. you still it's phantom you still feel like they're there because your whole life you've you and something is getting rid of just suddenly so it really affected him um my mom prayed a lot it affected me even seeing him like that it was very foreign i was like wow what is all this like how can it till today my mom was like maybe kevo would still be alive if it was one leg not two why two so because there are very rare cases that you actually get double amputee from diabetes it's only one and it gets okay so socially and the anxiety going to a place let me tell you one thing nairobi has very few places that are wheelchair friendly mostly social yeah i would tell you for free he taught me to go to a place and do survey and i used to get so excited I used to be like what i've gone to a place where they've thought of 
everything from the lift to the seating to the what and i get so excited i'm like i have to take my brother here till now even when he's not there i actually go like i'll give this guy a 10 on wheelchair accessibility so it affects your every movement like going on a plane we went on holiday and my brother said i'm never going to go on holiday on a plane until i get my legs because first of all the airport is going on a frenzy because it was a local flight we have to be given the lift where you go up you're always the last person to leave the plane so you can never be in a hurry you can never say oh, i have a meeting so as much as someone will say your life will go on but it actually is always delayed Let's just talk about that um that experience flying with him. Yeah. Um did he get any um additional support in the airport? What yes. Like? The good thing about the airport is once you enter the airport, you are the liability of the airport. So my brother got a full-time nurse. So he always had his nurse for 24 hours. They used to take shifts. So if even one is on holiday, someone else will come in. So yeah. So he always had his nurse. But once we go to the airport, he's no longer the nurse's care. He's now part of the airport crew. They were very like happy faces, smiles. I wouldn't say that we were ever, but it's just that you used to walk into a place, but now there are so many things that are being done. First, you have to notify them before you come that you have a person. First of all, people forget that there is being a complete amputee where you cannot walk at any point or stand. You drag yourself. So when you tell someone is when we like can he stand and you're like we can hold on to him he's like standing where so now those were the challenges so did you start to notice that um he was taking it a bit hard yeah instantly like instantly it was even just to tell him cuz i remember i had to be the one to tell him i'm very close with him so i was the one to tell him next to the doctor that Kevo you know you're going to lose one leg. Then the one that broke me was Kevo you know now the infection has not gone you're going to lose the other leg and he was like why how will I live I'm like instantly I go on my phone and I google I'm like have you seen that there are some cool um, mini, um prosthesis cool ones cool like hey you'll be gangster you'll be like RoboCop and deep down I'm like What the hell is going on? How are we going to live? First of all, we live in a two-story house. So from the entrance. I remember we have a relative, hi Bruce. <laughs> Bruce was like, "Me I'm going to sell my car, we're going to put for Kevin a lift in the house." A lift. It was crazy because we were like, how is he always going to get to his room? Yeah. So we got a <laughs> thank God we're in 2023. Mm-hmm. I mean 2022 then. 2020, yeah. So We got a, a, a staircase that actually is turns into an escalator where you tilt it down and it the it just levels up from China so that that saved us. And what other changes did you have to make to your house and your way of living? So thank God we we live in a big house. It's a five bedroom house. So We're lucky that now first of all we are now one person fully that which is a nurse. So his room had to be near my brother because in case his phone is far and he can shout. So I used to have an office so my office changed into the nurse's room. 
I had never changed my bathroom. It used to be a bathtub. So I used to, when I feel like having a quick shower, I'll go to that room. So I had to transform my room into a shower. Um, yeah, and also the the we made one bath one bathroom into a PWD bathroom, where you put um they're called commodes, where you they can shower on there because you know this other one gets wet the normal one. So you can how many wheelchairs am I talking about? The normal everyday wheelchair that you move with him every day. We have the lift wheelchair that has to be charged because it's using electricity. If it's not charged, anyone blunders, meaning my brother will sit downstairs till the like. We had to work. We had to be organized. Then there's a commode. So those are three wheelchairs. Yeah, it's quite expensive. Yeah. Eventually, did uh, the amputation or what led to his passing? Okay. So I've talked about Kevin drinking a lot. So of course, also his his liver got a beating. But the liver is the most forgiving organ. So he recovered because at the time the doctors were like, well, now he was checked into hospital for the diabetes because he was there for like a while before we went to India. And they were like, your liver has, but it's very forgiving. It will grow back because it shrinks in some cases due to abuse of alcohol. So, um, so it was forgiving. Then I think... You know, sometimes you can't really tell about some things because it just happens and you're like, even if I go back and ask myself, what is this really happening? It's not going to change. So someone just told us um, that he's also taking, he's been taking a lot of medicine. I think he used to take 15 tabs a day. Wow. So it consumed the liver. So we had to go to India again, this time to do a whole transplant. Fun fact no one tells you is the agent I had never told me is you have to be a direct relative. You have to go with documents stating your relationship stamped by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs showing that eligibility, that your government knows that this is happening and they are verified even by the a lawyer. The transplant specifically? Yeah, because... This is an organ that someone else, we don't want organ, organ trafficking. You're in a foreign country. They don't know the authenticity of the documents you approve. So there's a lot of lawyer work and the government stamps. And then you get clearance from the High Commission of Kenya in New Delhi. So yeah, so we went for the transplant. This was in, we left Kenya October, the last day of October. It's actually a process. When they first told me, um, I knew I was going to be the donor. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to give, I'm ready to have his car and I'm ready to be the one to give him. And funny enough, I was not the same blood group as he was. So I couldn't be a donor. So we had to look for another relative, a direct relative, where we could say this, the mother, my my grandparents from here, this is my cousin, because now I got my cousin's son, so that's my nephew, who was a donor. And mind you, you have to stay in India for one month. So someone has to be ready to stay. It's a sacrifice. First, you'll have a scar, you're going to go through an operation and going to be in India for a whole month. So we did the transplant and it was successful. 
he survived a 14 hour surgery but now there was something called a bile leak so, bile leak yes so the bile leak could not be contained it kept getting worse normally it goes like low 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 on its own and he died during the surgery to correct the bile leak yes so he didn't wake up from the second surgery yes okay i'm so sorry um and what at this point uh while you're looking for a new donor you are still in india yeah you i could, I, i never left my brother at any point okay i stopped my work everything i said i'm going to take care of this guy Could you tell us a bit about um the going to India experience what's something that people don't know First of all it's damn expensive a transplant was $38,000 So roughly with the current rate 5 million oh. So you have to have money Yeah Mind you we had had a fundraising when he was in hospital being amputated now that was in 2020 because our bill in Aga Khan was 10 million so how do we go back to asking people for money again this is now two years later or like even if it's selling the cars selling the shambas we'll figure it out so this one even we did no fundraising we just took him to india about the um the legalities of being a donor those are things we didn't know So India also the food is not the same as Kenya like in the state you are in it was a vegetarian state so i remember my brother was being told have a high protein diet and he's like high protein as we know protein is chicken meat <laughs> here the protein is um, peas cow peas <laughs> dal <laughs> so a lot of cultural changes language barrier and we were damn homesick and the heartache of when the like when his spirit was high he was like rene if i make this transplant first of all we've gotten a donor who after i was nullified from being a donor he was like ah, then me i'm here i'm here to stay we've gotten a donor in like record time because i remember when the doctor told me i can't be a donor I was like my brother looks a bit well because he was in, admitted for like a week when we landed. He looked sick when we were going and is like he, he came back to himself. So I'm telling the doctor it seems we are a bit disorganized. Can I we just go back to Kenya and then come back when we're organized? He's like why are you taking your brother? He won't even make through that flight. And I'm like the way he looks healthy is not the, looking and being were different. He's like this you go plan yourself. but leave him here so yeah so from the cultural differences it was and um how did this impact both you and your mom yeah, my mom even if she came in here she would just start crying <laughs> she's never been the same even me I'm tired a bit <laughs> but i've become a guru i think i was so used to the bad news in india i draw to second tears like when we were told the bile leak you just you know he's next to you and your doctor and you i really know how to say it it changed us it changed first of all i always say that he lived like when he was fat care between 1 and 30 <laughs> 0 and 30 my brother was very 
active. He was different. So it changed me in a way that nowadays I'm like, if you are happy in that moment, if you can do what you have, you want to do, like he did his cars. He told my mom that I want to go to uni. Him, he's about these cars things. And he followed his dream. So it changed me in a lot of my outlook in life. Right now, tell someone, go and do what you love. He lived a very full life. In fact, <laughs> I just look at him and I'm like, when I see his photos, I'm like, hey, you knew you were not going to be here for a while. Yeah. You didn't play with your days. Exactly. And he had his first child very <laughs> yes. young, as you have said as well. Yes. In fact, my mom says, when I was being told I'm becoming a grandmother, then <laughs> I was very furious. But I didn't know it's because he would never get a chance to have a f- other kids. Yeah, that was his chance at that time. Yeah. And how do you remember him now? Oh, it's it's crazy because he loved to dance and he loved to sing. So his car is was is quite was quite loud. He had the speakers, he would walk in here, you'd have heard him from the barrier. <laughs> so <laughs> music. I know his favorite song. So I would sit somewhere and I just smile. I'm like, huh. <laughs> that's him. So I remember him with his smile and his laughter. Then he loved cracking jokes. He was a better storyteller than me. In fact, if he was here to tell his story, you guys would be cracking up. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's how I remember him. The laughter and yeah. music. And what would you advise uh, a family going through something similar like a family member coming into disability much later in life is there any advice or any anything you would really share like, like for me you're now imagining i'm an i've been left an only kid people should really appreciate their friends me my friends have carried me through the whole journey from the amputation to even I, I did a blood run when he was in hospital and it was during COVID. And what <laughs> the amount of people who came through for me? Um, there were a lot. And don't be scared to share. Like, talk. Talk to anyone. I used to get solutions. Like the guy who, who had polio, yes, they didn't agree, but he gave him a few pointers. He told him, generalize your your pain. He told him, he gave him a few pointers that he took back. No, it wasn't a hundred percent loss. Like I would say, talk about it. Talk. Even that's why I'm here. I want to talk and let everyone tell everyone who's going through disability. Talk about it. And you just mentioned you had a blood run and you had also had a fundraiser. Yeah. How did you go about those, like popularizing them, um, just getting people to donate as much as possible? Yeah. Um, as much as People say, oh, when you oversharing, no. People will always have some, everything you do will have people who have negativity and positivity about it. But I will tell you one thing. The positive was more than the negative. Like, because when I was posting my brother and his condition, and some people were like, oh, why are you talking, why are you sharing too much about your life? Everyone was going through something. But we raised a lot of money, like they, and even we were getting a hundred bob from strangers, fifty shillings. As I told you, my brother was fat K, so I got the help of DJ Exclusive. I got the help of the people who had known him from. So he had removed a lot of people in the industry. There was Shafi. So 
I was very grateful from that foundation and because we were not, I think none of us live there anymore, but even did exclusive there in primary school together. So they really spread the word and came through. Because I remember there's a guy who called me during the blood run. Sasa, um, like, hi, so do you need blood? Yeah. Um, just send me fair. I'll be there. And I was like, I don't know this guy. He's seen my number. And he wants to show up. Him, he just doesn't have transport. So I was very, very, very impressed. I remember some lady called me. She used to check up. How's your brother? Has he left? How is he going to cope without the legs? Is he going? How are you guys coping? Yeah. So my mom, I'll go back to her. Her she's, she thinks she questions everything. Like, did I do this right? Did you we, did we, did we go to India more, as I was telling you? She really, it's a, it's a tall order. But I'm there for her. And I have most amazing relatives and friends. I no longer feel, I, I think even my friends are so kind. I have two sisters, Beverly and Laura. They put me in a group <laughs> and made me, told me, Renee, <laughs> Warembo. <laughs> I was in a group and so now I feel like I have sisters. <laughs> I've never had a family group because uh, we're having a family, me, my brother, and my mother. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be very easy to communicate. So I'm now in a family group. I have an amazing best friend. She, her mom also is diabetic, lost um, her toe. So she's the one who also guided me. So I'm very, like, you don't know how you meet people in life and how they are going to impact you way later. Because when I was choosing her as a bestie, I didn't know a few years later I was going to talk about to her, what? The, the toes are now black. So and I remember she told me, yeah, it happens. Can you tell us a bit about the financial implications of all the medication, all the surgeries, and the effect they've had on your family? Well, it took, a, it was a lot of money. As I said, liver transplant, five million. We used to spend um, every day in an apartment because you're not going to stay in hospital with him the whole time. I had a nephew there. He's a man, so I knew he would want to be changed. He wanted a man around, so I carried my nephew. So the apartment I'm staying in is $50 a day. So every day, that time the exchange rate was kinder. Now it's not like today. <laughs> so that's roughly, let's just say, 6000 Minus our food, minus the days you the weather is too sunny, you want to take a tuk-tuk. So it's quite expensive, just being in India. So plus the medication. So that's it. And it only covered for the transplant. Like anything else like this by leak and the surgery was not counted. So that's a whole total expense. For the amputation, I'll go back to that. So he unfortunately got an infection when this on one of the legs that was um, quite interesting because he got an, um, an infection that uh, normally people who are actually in war areas get. So I would not like to get into it because it's a bit controversial because of the hospital, but yeah, so he got an infection. He, when he got the infection, infection they had to cut the leg right um, 
below the knee. So meaning the stump could not enter a prosthesis. So they actually had to do plastic surgery where they took meat from his thigh and put underneath so that the, we don't lose the knee. But the knee is very important. Any amputation, if you are told, it's rather it's below the knee because it will be easier to walk for his weight, his height also, even they reduced his height when he got the prosthesis. Oh, by the way, the prosthesis costed us 1.8 million. This is the prosthetics alone? Yes. Are they that expensive? Um, if you want good quality, okay. that's how much they cost. Yeah, so that's the only good thing about it. It covers physio. And you can walk in any outlet in the world. We used to go to the outlet in India. And they don't charge for anything unless you come out with a product. Free, phys free physio anywhere. Wait, this is if you have this surgery in India? No. Uh -huh. The processes we got in Kenya, mm -hmm. in Ngong Road, it's called Autobok. It's a German company. So they have outlets all over the world. Oh. If you enter, you get free physio anywhere. If, I, oh. if he went to the UK and found Autobok, he would walk in and be done free physio adjustments for free. So I would say it's expensive, but to us it was, because we used to go, to, used to go in India for the physio. And was the physio to help him learn how to use them? Um, this process is it's a learning curve. So when you're from surgery, even if you give birth through C-section, you're told you have to walk around. It's healthy. So sitting on the wheelchair was not helping. So he used to go for physio to speed his recovery and also to prep you for a big surgery because your heart rate, everything is, you're moving now. So, yeah. And I can also imagine how much you had to learn. I learned a lot. I learned as the, tech, the technological terms, like about the liver. I think I know everything about the liver. About plastic surgery, um, whatever he was done, where you remove this, the meat and put under so that he doesn't lose his knee it's called a flap and this is a foreign meat that is coming in a place where it's under so that flap they are hardly successful in fact that's the only win i can say my brother actually won because after losing the leg that is the only thing that was actually a hundred percent successful in fact i always kept telling him to save his knee, it costs us like five million. So that's why you're hearing I'm talking about Aga Khan. We spent 10 million because of the plastic surgery. It was just a normal amputation. It would have been easy and go. But the doctors advised us, if you guys want him to have an easier life, if you guys can raise funds for this, let's try save the knee. Just don't cut it out because it would be very odd for him to have one knee and then no. The other leg is shorter. Yeah. And um, before he passed, did you notice that anything was wrong? I know people usually say there's a there's something spiritual that happens before someone passes. Did you notice any change in him? Yeah, he talked a lot. He was so talkative the last the last night, the last day. But I was open with him because I'm like, Kevo, I think you're scared. He's like, Yeah, Renee, I'm scared. Then we 
see, he had been in and out of surgery because even saving the knee, I think he went through 10 surgeries. Short, one hour, 30 minutes, like very many surgeries. So we knew a surgery is critical by how many hours it was. So we didn't expect the surgery to be that long. So the doctor talked about eight hours and I'm like, eight hours? So the minute he told me eight hours and I was like, this is an intense surgery. But I think in India, because they see so much, because people come from all over the world to be treated, they are not, they don't really see it as a big deal. The only thing I saw that they were like, the surgery is huge, is a transplant. Because the doctor didn't really magnify this surgery to be life-threatening, if I could say that. So we took him, the doctor is very calm about it, chilled about it. But my brother, deep down, is you could see he's scared. So my mom's sister was sick um, when we were in India. So every Sunday she used to go to see her. Like it became her routine. She's, we are not around, so there's one she's calling for a plan because Sunday is family Sunday. So she, then many people used to go and see her sister also. So normally every Sunday she would call when she's there, but my brother would not talk to anyone or probably talk to one person. But that, because he died on a Monday, that Sunday he talked to every single person. And they say people know when they are going because it affected all my cousins so much because they were like, what? This guy said goodbye. And then as we used to take photos before every um, surgery, that day he refused to remove the mask for me to take the picture and do for me a peace sign because I used to send my mom because he had also gone through another surgery, but just to clean his stomach. It was a minor thing. And he would, I would always send, even the transplant, he did for me a very cool peace sign. I was like, see you when you see me. But this day he refused. This was the, the final surgery. Yeah. So I'll never forget. So my mom calls me, she's like, oh, eight hours are over. I'm like, mom, these guys are like tailors. They don't tell you. The surgeries always take longer. So we go um, with my nephew, we go to the hospital. Then that day we were like, hey, let's treat ourselves. We ordered KFC. So we ate KFC in the apartment, then went to see him. So I, I texted the doctor, he's like, you can come now. Then normally after every surgery, they take you to ICU so that you can recover there in case you have any complications. It's a clean place. Hygiene is the best. Everything is, there's a nurse watching you 24 hours. Clear doors, clear windows, everything. So me, I'm just walking in and I see people flying inside the ICU. And Kumbet was Kevin checking out. I almost found him, but I didn't. Because I would actually tell you, I saw his doctor wearing a coat. It's like he, because the doctor tells me he he was okay. But he he had, even during the transplant, he had succumbed a bit, so they resuscitated him. But like for a second, where his blood pressure was low. So I was not shocked to hear that. Oh, that we did, because he was telling me like a story. I'm like, oh, so he sees alive, so I... <laughs> When now the transplant happened, he was telling me now, you know, Kevin had an incident where his blood um, was low, so he resuscitated him, but it wasn't an issue. He came right back up after a few seconds. So even this one, he thought, 
he would have survived but in fact he was still working on him because he actually came out and told me i'm still trying to save kevin and i'm like why the hell are you still talking to me <laughs> like should be inside don't tell me now he's like i'm working on it like i'm still working on it because he found out i found out that it was him because you see i see has many people it could have been any other patient but funny enough that day he was like the only like two patients in that ICU he was in and so yeah so then he told me he just didn't he just yeah so we would say kevin pretty much was behaving like someone who knows what's happening i'm so sorry for that um so now you had to bring his body back to oh, Kenya. Yes, let me tell you how that is the worst thing of till today everyone tells me what is your worst experience ever. First of all, you know it's 300,000 Kenya shillings to bring back a body from India. The state I was. In. They want cash and you're like which ATM is going to remove 300,000. So I remember my mom had to send Western Union because I drained all my ATMs. I think I raised like 80k and I had some dollars still left so I think it reached one 150. And then this the hospital still gave me a bill about the surgery and I'm like this was not successful. They like just pay what you want. So I think I swiped 100k and they were giving me a bill of like 400. So bringing back the but that's what really shocked me. I didn't imagine it would be that expensive. So you actually go to cargo and Indians like photos. Sorry, anyone in 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 India, they like any to advertise themselves with African people. So they actually took a photo of me and my nephew next to the casket. I'm very vocal. Me you cannot misuse me and I don't talk. Hi, you had left the building. I was not myself. I didn't say a word. I didn't. My nephew is like, "Rene, do you know this whole African photo? Because they always used to keep taking photos of us. Even you in a random place they used to take photos of us. Like they had never seen Africans. Like we used to get that a lot. That's another thing about being in a foreign country and being African. So they actually took a photo of the bodies there. Me and my nephew and if you see that photo i look like the my body was there and my spirit was elsewhere so that for me there was i was like if honestly i could change the world i would make sure the people who die abroad come in the same plane you are with even if it's you're given a boarding pass like just cargo like it's just like this table this machinery yeah that is the worst thing of I cried so much. Wow. I was like, wow. Like give me rudi to come amziko like just any other luggage. So yeah. it was bad. But any other thing. Yeah. I was so lucky I got a flight. I left him. I got a flight the same night. Cuz if I stayed in India another day I would have gone crazy. And I wanted to be with my mom. So I was very lucky that I got the last flight cuz that was a Tuesday Monday Monday night Tuesday. Monday he passed on Tuesday morning so Wednesday so I got a flight I landed in the morning and Kevin landed at lunchtime and actually Emirates are the people Air India doesn't deal with um 
bodies. Emirates? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what's it like now picking the pieces um, as, you tra- as you learn how to navigate life without him? No, it's crazy. Um, we are moving houses because he chose that house. He was always on the wheelchair, so he would pass <laughs> with his wheelchair and scream, Arene! So the stairs don't, because you see, he would hardly. Sorry, <laughs> I was doing well. <laughs> so that's how it's come. I sold his car. He loved his car so much. And I remember when I gave the car dealer, I was like, sell for me the car. Very confidently. Uh, my mom first saw it. She was like, I don't want to see this car here. I don't want to see it. Um, you guys uh, get rid of it, Rene. I was like, okay. The day I had someone has bought it. I was so sad. I was like, I was happy it not being out with in a compound. But I, I felt so bad that it actually went. So sometimes you feel like you, it's interesting because you feel like you're getting rid of someone's memory. Like even passing that house, I'm like, we're really going to not, we've, we have instances where you've seen him in there. We have a gazebo like sitting there, like places you. So I'm like, wow, well, we're going to have a new house and there's all going to be his memory. Yeah. yeah. So, and even all, I want to, I can't even move um, away from my mom because I said I'll always live with her. So my mom is like, even if you start your family, I'll just be with you. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks. His memory definitely lives on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Renee, any last words? Yeah, my last words would be um, trying to have a social life when you're disabled was proving, as I mentioned, very hard to navigate. So I would even probably open an office if it is in the government and just make sure that everyone verifies any social building any public building and make sure that they have thought through the process of dealing with a disabled person on a wheelchair who can't stand. Yeah, like even like I was in South Africa, there was a section in a concert where they had a ramp for disabled people. Even I was, I went to see Beyonce in London just a few months ago. And there was a section of this um, place where the people are on wheelchairs. So as much as you're told, oh, have a, oh, have a social, go back to your normal, try and live as normal as you are. What do people do about, well, what do people think socially, how this world can fit in? It's, I think someone should open an office. If it's not me, <laughs> I would open an office just to verify any public, any social area to have a place because even in the buses in London, they have a place for, yeah. So I think um, Kenya, we are really not doing justice to anyone with disability. Those are my last words. And also everyone share your story, share. You don't know how it's going to impact someone. I hope this impacts someone. We definitely need a lot more accessibility in Kenya. You have been listening to the Unseen Life Experience. I've been your host, Wamboye K. 
please like this podcast, give it a follow and also rate it to improve our visibility.